Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 173, and I am Ross. And I am Gordon. Hello, Gordon. How are you today? Like I am pretty much most other days. Commodionally. Okay, we'll just leave that line on the road <laughs> beside the raccoon. But you've been thinking about something, I can tell. What have you been thinking about or mulling? Oh, mulling, yes. Oh, that's a good word. It's better when applied to to wine. It is. Uh, I've been listening to topic discussions and watching YouTubes and attending workshops. And mostly I consider that I have a better handle on using Flash than many. I practice a lot at home, and my dog runs whimpering away to her corner when the camera comes out, and the grandkids don't come over anymore. Sounds good so far. Mm -hmm. Now, all this is true, until they take my flash into the field, and then everything goes to hell in the handbasket. And I've heard similar stories from others in the camera club as well. Okay, so if it's not just you, and many people are experiencing this, and I've heard this before, this is a really good topic. How do you want to approach it? Well, that's a problem. I thought a cohesive, a cohesive approach to the issue in an organization system would be extremely helpful. Okay, fair enough. How would you approach this concept of organization? Well, I pretty much gave up on that. Okay. There's way too much overlap and you start off organizing in one direction and you suddenly find yourself on something else again. So I've given up on that. One point at a time seems the least confusing of the lot. Okay, that seems fair and sounds suitably simple and hopefully will not cause confusion or confundance. Confundance, yes. In our listeners. So what have you done to try to figure this out? Well, I thought that maybe presenting a scenario and then working our way through what happens, what should happen, and what doesn't happen would be a good way to go. And the first thing that strikes me is we talk a lot about fill flash. So the scenario is we've got a very bright light and we've got plenty of shadows. Think something along the lines of a family gathering where your cousin Bob is now pushing everybody out into the squinty sun or an outdoor portrait or flower photography or multiple other scenarios that you can think of. The guiding principle, however, is you've got a light that is bright and shadows that are not. Fair enough. So if I hear you correctly, you've got a very strong light source. Mm -hmm. and very harsh, very deep shadows. Is mm -hmm. that correct? That's correct. So what do you do to approach this scenario at present? Most of the teaching on Flash falls into two categories. You have spoken about as using manual Flash or using your TTL system to augment what you want to do. I know you are a proponent of TTL, so let's deal with that for a start. So I'm going to assume that we're shooting an AP, uh, 
aperture priority and TTL and that's because that's pretty much what most people would do. The common teaching in this scenario is sort of twofold again. Turn everybody around, put the sun behind them so that they don't squint anymore. And number two, override Uncle Bob and get everybody into the shade. Now, if things work the way they should, the TTL flash should do its thing, illuminate the subjects and give adequate exposure to the ambient light as well. Well, that makes sense. And it can work. Framing and composition in consideration, we need to think a little bit about how much of that light that's coming from behind. And by the way, that's the right place to put the sun. The only person squinting should be the photographer. Okay. So you've got that absolutely right. But we want to think about how much light is going to be coming into the lens and hitting the sensor because that could impact the ambient exposure and result in a less pleasant shot. You sound a little bit less than enthusiastic, so I'm going to take that this hasn't always worked for you. And you also didn't mention anything about duct taping Uncle Bob. Now, that's an option that you would choose for your own family, but I do highly recommend And I have to I have to agree with you that for Uncle Bob, duct taping the rest of him is the, as well is probably not a bad option. However, in theory, this is great. But sometimes looking at the finished product, it isn't obvious if the flash has done something or not. And I'm sure it's a source of frustration to many. They look at the image, they say the flash went off, but I don't see any change out here. So the two ways you could describe this, one is it is a perfectly balanced flash because you can't determine whether the flash was used or not. Or others would interpret as there's not enough flash being provided. Okay, I think I understand the problem. And my first bit of guidance would be, how does it look to you as the photographer? And there is a common thread in Phil Flash Education that says, well, you shouldn't be able to see that the flash was used. I'm not sure that that is universally correct. Okay. It really falls to the creator, the artist, to determine if they want to see the impact of flash or if they want it to be so subtle it just looks like it was beautifully lit right from the word go. But if this is a problem, I know the solution and would like to share it. And it is to take some time before you go out to make these critical images to read your manual about a subject called flash exposure compensation. Flash exposure compensation, often referred to as FEC, is available on most modern cameras. Once you find out that your camera does it, invest an hour or so of your time to practice using it with intent. We've counseled in the past for people to learn how to use ambient exposure compensation by taking a series of shots of a fixed subject in the same light, using the different positions on the ambient exposure compensation dial, and then you've got a series of images in your editor that you can say, oh yeah, this is what minus two looks like. This is what minus one, this is what zero, plus one, plus two, or whatever range you choose becomes a reference point for you to work from. Just as you've done that, I absolutely recommend people do the same thing 
learning to use flash exposure compensation. You want to know what effect happens when you alter the flash exposure. Also note that flash exposure compensation only matters if you're using TTL flash. If you're using manual flash, it might do something and it might not. Mm -hmm. And that's very annoying for people until you know what that particular camera does. Right. My view on this, and it's just my opinion, if you're going to try to use a tool and you don't practice it, and you don't build it into your personal development, and you just go into the field assuming everything is going to be great, that's not really a success strategy because you've already described a lighting situation that is A, not particularly common, and B, very difficult to meter at any time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just to clarify, number one, your camera has an exposure compensation setting. And I'm going to assume that if you're shooting in AP, you are already familiar with this. Uh, it looks at the exposure reading on your camera, which is designed to give you a middle gray. It then looks at how much brighter or not you want your image to be, and it adjusts the exposure accordingly. Number two, there is a surprise. As you've mentioned, they have one of those already built into your flash or your camera. It's generally well hidden within some of the system menus. But once found, it does exactly the same thing as your flash. It looks at how bright your subject is going to be, and it adjusts the flash output to give you the intended exposure. But here's a catch. Camera makers treat these two these two being exposure compensation and flash exposure compensation, somewhat differently. Some makers will allow you to adjust the flash exposure and the exposure compensation independently of each other. And others, for some reason that I don't know, will add the two together so that the net exposure you get is higher than the sum of either one of the two. Don't ask. I don't know the answer. Fortunately, you also generally have a setting somewhere in there that allows you to link or unlink the two, whatever your preference may be, once you figured out which camera is doing what and how it is you want to approach this. Okay, those, those st statements are very fair. I do have to agree how frustrating it is how some makers bury FEC in their already convoluted and sometimes difficult to use menus. For me, as a proponent of flash, and you know well that a flash goes in the bag before a second lens mm -hmm. in my case, I find it very frustrating that I've got to go menu diving for a feature that I use all the time. That being said, it is what it is, and I can't change that in general. The problem of linkage is a bigger issue. Now, I can only speak to the cameras that I've used in production scenarios. Canon does not link the two. Ambient exposure compensation and flash exposure compensation 
are completely separate. But by default, and again, I am limited to my experience with Nikon professional cameras, the D5 and such, and they are bound together. Mm-hmm. But there is a menu option where you can unlink the background and the flash. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that is also buried in a menu, and it's really not clear. And also the language that they use to describe what that particular function does is anything but explanatory. I would have to concur. I, I believe that the documentation is writ- originally written in Japanese, which seems to make sense. But I think it went through a Japanese to cling on to English translator before it got to English, because I agree, it's nearly incomprehensible. But let's cut to the chase. You're the creator, so only you can decide if there is sufficient flash being added. Now, in this scenario, you're talking about sun and shooting an aperture priority. You also want to check your camera settings to make sure that they will give you as much shutter speed latitude as possible up to the limit of flash shutter sync speed and not constrain you to slower sh- shutter speeds in case the ambient light is starting to drop. Take a test shot, quickly check the LCD. If you think there's either too much flash or too little, use flash exposure compensation to reduce or increase flash output. Again, this is presuming that you are using TTL flash. Do keep in mind the inverse square law because if that flash is already pull it, putting out full power pops, turning it up isn't going to make it any brighter because mm-hmm. it's got no more to give. The quick solution is move the flash closer to the subject. That's where the inverse square law helps us enormously. Move that flash closer, we get a lot more effective output. It's also important, I think, I could be wrong, to understand that when we talk about flash output, the flash actual amount of illumination is the same. What changes is how long that flash is firing for. So when we say a flash is at full power, it's putting out the same light at the flash tube as a flash at 132nd power, but at full power, it's putting it out for a longer period of time. That longer period of time is far shorter than the flash sync speed. You don't even have to worry about it or think about it. But sometimes I've found that some internet articles and some tutorials create the illusion that we're actually changing the output of that xenon tube when it's fired. And that's not true. It took me a long time to understand the the point that you just made. I was adjusting the flash output and getting less than adequate exposure of the photograph. And it took me a long time before my brain kicked in and said, well, maybe there isn't any more power. Maybe you either need to do something with your ISO or you need to get that flash a hell of a lot closer. And it took a long time before I do that. Well, I think that's an important scenario. You know, we've all been at some point to a show, a play or a concert, and we see folks in the nosebleed session section with their their camera phones and the flashes are going off like mad in the expectation that it's illuminating the stage. All it's doing is giving the neck of the person in front of them a sunburn (laughs) because of the inverse square law, the light is just not getting there at any level to make an alteration to the overall exposure. So yeah, get the flash 
closer to the subject. And uh, I'm so glad that you brought all this up because it leads to another scenario that I have every time I pick up a camera for real and I f forget my basics. I think I have the exposure compensation down, but where I have difficulty is when the ambient light is fading and the exposure time is getting long. Attempts to get proper ambient exposure now start to fail and underexpose the image because as soon as I turn the flash on, it reverts to a shutter speed of, uh, let's say, 160th of a second or maybe 150th of a second. And I thought I could use any shutter speeds with flash up to the flash synchronization speed. And that's that's probably true, but going the other way seems to be a problem. Because if the ambient exposure is saying you need to shoot at 1 15th of a second, and your camera has just reverted to 1 50th of a second, and if your flash is not excessively powerful, yeah, you're going to get uh, you're going to get an underexposed image. But this whole concept of there being a, well, I was going to say ceiling, but it's not a ceiling, it's a floor to where that shutter speed can be set. I don't know if things have changed recently because I know that when I was shooting Nikon a few years ago, my Nikon would not let me go below about 160th of a second and cut me off. Right. Now, my current camera, I, I thought the same thing applied, and then I took a look at it, and I found to my amazement that it goes all the way down to about one-tenth or one-fifteenth of a second. So maybe something has changed. I think that this is a good question, because what we're talking about here is balancing ambient and flash. So let's break this right. down into two parts. Okay. The shutter speed, presuming it is under the flash synchronization speed, typically a 200th or a 250th of a second, as long as the shutter speed is below that, shutter speed has no impact on flash at all. Mm -hmm. None whatsoever. So in theory, if I make an exposure at 250th of a second or at 12 seconds, the flash exposure is identical. Right. The only thing that's going to change is the ambient exposure. Right. So yes. in your scenario, you talk about the ambient light dropping to a level where you need longer shutter speeds to record it at the depth of field and ISO you've chosen. Yes. Correct? Correct. Okay, so this can be a challenge with automation and also a challenge with the default settings in cameras. One of the issues with automation, including flash automation, is it's only going to work within the constraints designed into it by the camera's manufacturer. Most manufacturers will allow a setting, typically not the default, where the flash will fire no matter how long the shutter speed gets, whereas others will set, use your term, a shutter speed floor. Mm -hmm. I know, for example, because I checked prior to us doing this podcast, on one of my Canons, it gives me an option. Hold the shutter speed at, at 1 250th regardless of whether there's flash firing or regardless of what the ambient light is. Okay. Let it fall as low as a 60th of a second, but no lower. Right. Or let it go as long as it wants. 
Okay. But that, that was a setting you could choose. That's a setting you choose. How do I find it? Again, put on the helmet with the light and go menu dive. Right. Because again, it's not necessarily clear. And again, in my opinion, the default should be any shutter speed. If your camera does not allow you to set any shutter speed. Remember, we're talking at this point about TTL exposures. Yes. So the workaround is go with a manual exposure. Right. Set your shutter speed manually. Set your aperture manually, your ISO manually. Man, put the flash on manual. Okay. And now go find the balance that works best for you. Right. You can use your ambient light meter to find out what's right for ambient. And then just play with the output settings for the flash till you get the balance that you like. Is it a bit more work? Yes, it is. But it will work this way on any camera. Even if the manufacturer doesn't allow you to drag the shutter long or does force a shutter speed floor. Right. So actually, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because that was going to lead me to this uh, to the next issue. Uh, and in some ways, the same issue. Because within the flash system, you have a choice of something called fill flash, which is what you're using all the time or you're trying to use out here. And again, I don't know if this is applicable to all cameras or just some cameras or more recently, the mirrorless cameras. But my new camera, new-ish camera, has a setting called slow sync, which I believe used to be present on some of the older ones, but maybe not all. And I found to my surprise that when I set the camera at slow sync, it would now override anything that I had set as the floor on the camera uh, for fill flash. And it would now, where it wouldn't allow me before, but it will now let the shutter drift as low down as it's required to uh, give you uh, an adequate exposure. Where I read this as being more useful than in others is let's say you are night shooting a cityscape or something along those lines. And you have a subject, your partner, who, who is very photogenic, uh, is somewhere close to you. And then obviously the cityscape is in the background. You can now use this slow sync setting to allow the shutter speed to drift as low down as you wish so that you get an adequate exposure of the lights in the background and the reflections in the water and everything that's going to make a good picture. And then the flash will fire on TTL and illuminate the close subject adequately without uh, disrupting the background at all. So I, I found the, the discovery of this particular set of things to be to be really useful. Uh, I knew about fill flash. I had heard about the second, second curtain flash. 
which is also well described. But now I knew about the the slow sync and its usage for night photography, and that was uh, an eye-opener for me. I think that this is important for our listeners because, again, manufacturers use different terminology. When I say no floor, allow any shutter speed, that Mm -hmm. is the same thing as slow sync. Okay. So yes. a manufacturer may call it slow sync, and that's their their choice. Right. So different manufacturers refer to this in different ways. Okay. But it means the same thing. Okay. There is no shutter speed floor for the flash to go off. However, we do have to recognize that some cameras, particularly in semi-automatic modes, and most cameras, if you're shooting in program or fully automatic mode, will prevent the shutter speeds from going long. They will force in those modes a floor by design. And the idea is to prevent the user from getting a failed image. Right. Okay. This may be a case where the prescription is actually not helping. And this is where I encourage folks to read your documentation and find that option for whatever the manufacturer calls it. No floor, slow sync, allow any shutter speed. And again, it's frustrating that every manufacturer chooses call it by a different name i understand why the makers would put these artificial floors in place in some of the semi-automatic and the full automatic modes i understand it but i don't agree with it if your camera supports slow sync then ttl flash is going to work exactly as you've described and so would manual flash for that matter you've got flash exposure compensation for ttl if you want to change the flash output and if you're shooting with manual flash, well, you move the alleged power dial. How do I set it? To suit your preference, whatever you like. Your camera may offer this thing that you brought up, rear curtain, sometimes called second curtain sync. Makers can't agree on even simple terminology, as we've discovered. If you are using longer shutter speeds, and your camera supports the concept of second curtain or rear curtain sync, I encourage you to choose it. In my world, second curtain slash rear curtain would be the default all the time. Mm -hmm. You won't see the effect at your normal flash sync speeds, but it matters enormously with slower shutter speed. Right. Camera makers don't listen to me, (laughs) and sadly, they don't even listen to their own ambassadors, you know, like a master of flash, like my mentor, Joe McNally. He's been champing at the bit for years where rear curtain, second curtain was the default for flash, and Nikon still hasn't done it. I hate to say this, but I think you're right. Because uh, after we've talked about this in, in the past, that has become my default system uh, or the default setting for my, for my flash. Um, you have to be careful to some extent because if you are shooting in low light yes you get all the the things we talked about but under some circumstances it's possible that you may get some ghosting uh, you get a sharp image but you may get a few little twitches in the background where you're, where you're picking up the subject motion that you may not want well, that's going to be true whether you have front or rear curtains. Right. Sink on. That that doesn't. That that's doesn't not really going to matter. make any difference. But you just have to be aware of just it. Just be aware of it. Tell your subject to stop moving. 
So if I have this right, and if I can get my head to stop spinning, to just to recap, so flash can be used in bright light to fill in the shadows and to avoid the squinting from the subjects. This can be done uh, using the TTL as a primary mode, even though you listen to exponents and you say, oh no, my flash has got to be on manual. They'd Just, be wrong. Well, yes. That's it could story. be either. You too. You should, having, having heard us spouting off out here, you should investigate the various functions that we've talked about, the rear curtain, the slow sink, the floor, the ceiling, the everything, and figure out, figure out what they do. Once you have an understanding of this, it adds a huge uh, addition to your armamentarium. Flashes can be used and adjusted to balance the subject illumination and the ambience. But the point that needs to be made in all of this is, in short, there is no one-step, one-shop shopping system with flash. I, th I think the frustration that many feel is they have not investigated these. They pick up their flashes, they attach it to the camera, they do the very basics, and then it's unclear to them why they are getting the results that uh, they are getting, which is unsatisfactory. Having these things under your, under your belt and understanding what they do, you've added a huge new toolbox to your photography, and it changes the way you look and see and do things. But before we close on this, Maybe you would share your opinion on the use of manual flash and where you think it's something that's definitely indicated, where it may be an improvement on TTL, or if you so desire, when not to use it at all. Okay, sure. So first and foremost, each photograph should conceptually be unique. So as you say, there is no one setting that fits all for anything that we do. That's true for ambient or flash exposures. There is no such thing as fire and forget. A little bit of attention, mm -hmm. well-placed, is going to result in better images. There are the automatic modes, and they do a good job generally. So let's call that the 90% of the time it's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's when you start mixing light sources, particularly when you do not have one that is the obviously dominant source. Right. That's when the automation may not take you as far as you might like. Right. So that's where you're going to want to learn and practice flash exposure compensation if you're using TTL. Or you could go to manual. Now, I do use flash in manual mode. I have some scenarios where for me, it is actually faster. So one scenario might be a studio type situation. The subject do placement doesn't change, the background placement doesn't change, and the placement of the lights don't change. Thus the exposure falling on the subject isn't gonna change either. So I'm gonna lock everything in manually, and now if 
there is a change in reflectance from the subject or anything else, for example, let's suppose that the subject changes their clothes, TTL may react differently to the reflected light. Mm -hmm. Manual exposure doesn't know, and so will not care. Right. So in that type of scenario, manual works for me. I don't concern myself if there's a change in reflectance. This calculated change in exposure would occur if I was not using flash either. Yes. Because the reflectance would change for my ambient light. Right. But flash gets blamed most of the time because most people <laughs> haven't done any of the reading to understand how to use it well. I'm sorry to say it in that harsh way, but it's true. I also use manual flash for fixed placement close up and for macro work. Again, mm -hmm. my subject isn't moving, my background's not moving, but I may be moving different subjects into the frame right? at the same flash to subject distance. Perhaps it's flowers or pebbles or little pieces of sculpture. Once I've got the manual exposure right for that distance, I don't need to change. Right. It's going to work regardless of the subject. Macro is another good example of this. Right. So, for example, if I'm doing, as I have done in the past for the purposes of a will, if I'm photographing stamps and coins, do they have different reflectance levels? Well, of course they do. Yes, they do. And TTL, but I'm shooting on the same background. TTL could be fooled by that because the reflectance changes. Right. Once I've got the, the right exposure, I just hoof everything to manual, and then I can move the subjects through and I can get the job done very quickly. Right. Because the overall exposure is going to be right regardless. The other time that I'm always going to want to think about manual, I may not always use it, but I'm going to think about it, is where I have a light source that's behind the subject that is going to hit the sensor. If everything else is holding position, the subject's not changing. Mm -hmm. The overall background's not changing. My light to subject, flashlight, to subject distance isn't changing, but the luminous effect of that backlight could change. Right. What am I photographing? Subject, subject or the background? Subject. If I'm photographing the subject, once I've got that exposure the way I want it to be, I'm going to lock it in. And that way, if the background lighting does change, that's an ambient effect. And the ambient side is going to manage that. Right. The flash side which is no longer measuring reflectance because I'm in manual flash mode, is going to do everything that it needs to do to get the proper exposure that I've already discovered. Right. Now, if the background changes, maybe I'm going to have to compensate somewhat. Right. If I'm in manual, I typically don't. So there's a benefit to that. Again, let's come back to the idea of the subject changing. Let's say I'm shooting a model and the first sequence... The model is wearing a black dress or a black tuxedo. Mm -hmm. But for the next sequence, they've gone cream or white. Right. TTL will give me different exposure readings. Yes. Ambient and flash. Mm -hmm. But if I've locked them in once I've got a good exposure based on the skin, which is what I'm looking for. Right. Once I've locked in a manual, I'm good. Now, let me be clear. When I say manual, I mean manual exposure set on the camera and on the flash. Right. Not one DTL and the other something else. Exactly. I choose the shutter speed and I choose the flash 
duration, or what more people would call the output level. Now, if I find myself in a situation with a flash where I cannot adjust the output level or duration, I'll put that flash away and get a different flash. Because a flash, and again, I, I say this only because when folks go out to buy a flash, if they're buying online, they're not going to get any kind of guidance. Yes. And if they go into some camera stores where the staff have no training at all, they're going to get pushed whatever's on spiff that week. And they may end up with a flash which doesn't have power control and may also be missing important features like bounce, tilt, heads, and that sort of thing. Right. So when you're looking at a flash, do look for something that's got output level control as well as bounce tilt. Bounce tilt, pardon me. Trust yourself. Trust your, your peers who are good with flash. Or listen to us because we're not going to give you bad advice because we don't get paid by any manufacturer. Mm. I hope these solutions to the scenarios that you've presented, Gordon, good scenarios, common challenges, prove helpful. And I want to thank you for putting those questions and scenarios together. And thanks to all those who listen in. Please subscribe to this podcast to get notified about new episodes. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I'm Ross. And I'm the other guy, Gordon. (laughs) We will speak to you again soon.